This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Sort of understated or what? This is a land that prays for a hero. The humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival. You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on Triple R102.7 FM. Good evening, one and all. Welcome to this week's edition of Greening the Apocalypse, 3 Triple R's weekly coverage of all sorts of smotherage. That's not even a word. Um, I'm improvising because I accidentally just deleted a line uh, with some notes on it that I hadn't meant to delete. Uh, Greening the Apocalypse is the show. Each week we talk about all kinds of stuff. We're an all kinds of stuff show and we <laughs> aim to keep asking questions until the answers are forthcoming. Bushy's my name and opposite me in this studio is wonderful Adam Grubb. How are you, Adam? Uh, I haven't used any systematic method to test that question today. Ah. Yeah. Well, I might, might know by the end of the show how I am. We may feel more informed on such things. <laughs> how hey, I feel like you've got to be in your bonnet about how someone, a few people have said to you when you say you do Green in the Apocalypse mm. that um, it's a gardening show. Yeah. You're really pushing it home. I'm really pushing home that it's not a gardening show. <laughs> I was involved for a few years in a gardening show here, and it was wonderful fun, Dirty Deeds. You can um, tune in every couple of weeks to uh, Digger as he guests on the Breakfasters at the moment. Um, but we're not a gardening show. We're an all-sorts-of-stuff kind of show, and occasionally we delve into gardening. Uh, hello, Kate Dundas. Hello. How you be? Yeah, I've not been here for ages, so I'm excited to be back. It's like meeting a stranger before. Aww. Well, uh, we've also got, uh, he is rustling and adjusting and doing some awesome stuff over there. Jed McCartney, panels and buttons, hello. Evening all. This evening's guest, he is on the phone to us now, uh, and he is the Executive Director of Bhutan's Gross National Happiness Centre. He is in town for uh, some talks he's doing with the School of Life on Monday the 19th of June and Thursday the 20th of June in Melbourne and Tuesday the 27th of June in Sydney. We're very lucky to have him on the phone from uh, the Mornington Peninsula this evening, Dr. Samdu Chetri. Hello, how are you? Um, I'm very fine. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk to you. Well, thank you so much for making the time to be here with us. Now... This is quite a detailed chat we're going to have this evening. We're going to have to establish a few things first before we get to uh, the Gross National Happiness uh, Centre, of, of which you're the director. We need to talk a little bit about where its, uh, where its origins are, and, and it all kicks off in a little landlocked mountain country called Bhutan. Can you just give us a quick picture, please, Dr Chetri, of the country of Bhutan, its people, its industries, um, and a little bit about it, please. Uh, well, Bhutan is in between India in the south, east and west, and China or Tibet uh, in the north. Uh, it extends from east to west about 300 kilometers. North, south, it is 150 kilometers. We start at a height of about 200 meters above sea level and cross over 7,500 meters in the north. 
So we are ecologically one of the 10 hotspots on the earth. Uh, it's a very small country with uh, about 800,000 people. And um, uh, we have a huge biodiversity in the country. Uh, as you uh, understand that we started low um, at uh, tropical level, subtropical level and cross over Alpine. Um, well, we do not have many industries and the few that we have are industries that are very friendly to the concept of GNH. And 69% um, of the people are very rural. Um, about 31% uh, of people are urban. Uh, we, our biggest ca city, capital city, um, constitutes of about 150,000 people. So we are really a very small landlocked country uh, between India and China. Indeed. Uh, you're a country, uh, if, I'm, if I've got my facts right, with a forest coverage, I believe, of uh, somewhere Seven. about... 72% of forest cover. We have already demarcated 56% of uh, the forest or the area, land area, for reserves, parks, sanctuaries, and they are all connected with corridor. Uh, we are 80% green, actually. 72% is forest cover only. We are one of the countries, maybe there are others, we are totally carbon negative. And uh, the constitution of the Kingdom of Bhutan uh, mandates that at all, it, in, in, in throughout all its life, Bhutan shall always be sixty percent covered with forest. Well, that, that's an interesting thing because uh, what you've just mentioned. Then, uh, when I was researching for tonight's talk, I noticed that your king himself had actually laid down quite a number of decrees, all of them very egalitarian, um, such as the right of the people to impeach the king. Uh, so is that, that's another feature we might get to a little bit later on in the chat. We're going to get the ball rolling, though, on the key themes of your, your talks in Australia, which are to talk to us about the idea of gross national happiness. We might get you to give us a little bit of a side-by-side -side comparison. Uh, gross national happiness stands in direct opposition to GDP, gross domestic product, are you able to just sort of speak to the two of those and, and, and maybe what the motivation was to, to go out with a, a new and innovative idea like gross national happiness? Uh, well, in fact, we are not against uh, GDP. All we are saying is that GDP is based on consumerism and destruction of nature and society. If we can do GDP growth without destroying nature and uh, society, then it's a most welcome thing. Um, you know how GDP grows. I mean, all transaction that takes place in a marketplace that's added to GDP. For example, Bhutan is 72% forest cover. Tomorrow, if we cut all the timber and sell it to India, our GDP will skyrocket from 2,500 to maybe, I don't know, $15,000 per capita. But what happens to the ecology? What happens to the biodiversity? It's not really uh, considered by GDP. GDP only considers economic growth, and that's translating directly into destruction of nature, money transaction. Um, and the society, on the other hand, you know, the more uh, depressed a society becomes, the more antidepressant drugs are sold, the more society becomes alcoholic or, or um, you know, uh, druggist, the more the GDP grows simply because you have uh, more medication to um, buy, more doctors to chase for, 
and so the economy grows and this is not what we want and for example one other simple thing i can tell you is um um you know two working parents um uh, if one of them decides to stay back home thinking that if i stay back home i can give a better future for my children and children are the future of the nation that's how we consider how do we tag all the time but the challenge is that if one of the working parents stays back home to look after that child there is no growth in gdp because there's no earning that you save in the bank and bank re- re- rolls into investment and you make more money out of it and there's no money to pay the nanny so gdp does not increase on other hand you are increasing the value of the future of your nation through this bright child you know so there is this mismatch between gdp and uh, that therefore we suggested or rather we are also working on it since about 50 years now but the measurement have only started 10 years ago uh, we are trying to see how we can also leave this values of gnh in the country we not against uh, gdp growth another example let me give you two years ago i was in switzerland and there was a news that said that a truck lorry traveling from germany to spain and another one traveling from spain to germany they collided over the swiss alps highway and what came out from both of these uh, containers were tomatoes so that's how the economy grows you know that's how the economy works <laughs> and uh, and we're not against we're saying okay let's grow uh, our technology let's grow into science let's grow you know uh, all the modernity that we can have let's grow but not at the cost of the nature the environment um and the society so what you're saying in there the perversion of gdp of building gdp at all at all costs is that you had two trucks coming from one country into another carrying the exact same cargo that being tomatoes and the the great irony being that had those two trucks not collided we'd we'd be none the wiser to i guess what you'd call the perversion of capitalism yes and uh, and now because they collided you know the economy still will grow because the insurance would have to pay it had to be repaired you know the you, you see the more fossil fuel we burn on this planet and we create uh, global warming the more gdp grows and uh, if we are living for our generations to come then we have to stop this but if we are living for ourselves fine let's destroy the earth and vanish but if we are here for our generations then we must change our mindset we must try to transform ourselves because simply uh, our children grandchildren or great grandchildren will suffer so much and the global warming has a direct relation with sea level rise in fact 4 years ago i was in melbourne uh, attending a conference uh, hosted uh, partially by small giants and i was invited by small giants i met few of the pacific islanders and they were discussing about leaving the islands in 30 years and i said why do you want to leave your ancestral homeland and they said well for last 25 years we've been measuring the sea level rise and we know maybe in another 30 35 years will be inundated by the water so i mean the arctic ice has broken definitely the glaciers whether it's in alps or himalayas or rockies or andes is melting at a very fast speed in fact in bhutan our snow leopards are adapting below the snow line now so that they don't miss the food chain you know they can't follow the snow because the amount of uh, glacier melting is at a very very high speed and i don't know how we are going to save these uh, snow leopards up there so it's a big worry and this research does indicate that 
from now in 50 to 70 years, uh, it might be possible that many of the coastal cities, um, like cities like Shanghai in China, Kolkata in India, Bangla, half of Bangladesh, maybe New York City, Boston, Florida, all these uh, great uh, populated islands and uh, cities will be underwater, rendering close to 200 million people homeless. Thank you for this picture of terrifying future that we've got to look forward to and how um, the gross domestic product is not taking us in the right direction. But can you tell us a little bit about how gross national happiness can counteract some of the things that we're seeing happening in the world and what Bhutan's doing differently? Uh, yes. Uh, in fact, there is also a wrong perception that we measure happiness. We don't measure happiness. We measure conditions to happiness. In fact, we consider that if a society has grown happier, then we feel that we have uh, loved. Uh, it's not the infrastructure technology that we consider. Uh, and therefore, we have nine domains, uh, 33 indicators, and 124 variables to measure this. We feel that these nine domains are holistically developing human beings. And uh, uh, if I had to tell what they are, it's a living standard, health, education, ecological diversity and resilience, good governance, cultural diversity and resilience, community vitality, time use, psychological well-being. These are the nine domains, and we feel that these nine domains would bring a holistic human development, and we try to measure through 33 indicators whether these nine domains have reached to uh, people in Bhutan or not. And uh, so the uh, metrics gives us an idea who are happy uh, through these conditions and who are not happy. And so we say if anyone who meets 50% uh, of these nine domains actually enters barely into happiness bracket until 65 and from 66 to 76 uh, we consider the person extensively happy because he or she has more than enough conditions to be happy and if it is above 77 percent of the conditions in nine domains we say the person is deeply happy although happiness is very individually very subjective uh, it's fleeting momentary but we don't consider this happiness in gnh we say gnh happiness is to serve others live in harmony with nature and realize uh, human values and wisdom so you have the nine principles that are based around some physical things and then um, do you ask people to rate their happiness based on those nine things individually? How, do you, how does the rating process work? Yes, uh, in fact, once in two or two and a half years, we do the survey with 1% of the population. So we have 124 questions to ask. And for example, in the psychological well-being, we try to deduct uh, what is the spiritual um, practice of the person, positive and negative emotions, and the life satisfaction. We look into four indicators. So likewise, we have indicators for all the nine domains. And so we go to uh, individuals, and it's kind of stratified uh, sampling that's done. So we mm -hmm. get into all across different ages, gender, uh, profession, uh, urban, rural, all this is taken into consideration. And then we try and measure to see how we are doing with these nine domains as uh, a part and parcel of 
an individual. So where we try to balance actually the material needs with the spiritual needs of the person. And here when we say spiritual, we are not talking about religion or something. We are more focused into compassion and serving others. How did you come up with the nine domains? Was that based on surveys or did it spring from the king's brain? <laughs> um, thank you for asking this. In fact, uh, our king who propounded on gross national happiness is more important than gross domestic product, gross national product. He became king at the age of not even 17. He was just turning 17 and, uh, because his father expired early. Uh, so His Majesty Jigmi Singye Wongchuk, actually our king, uh, when he knew that ultimate goal of every human being was to be happy. So he went down to the grassroots people from the very beginning, asking them, what can I do to make you happy? And of course, people folded their hands and said, oh, king, whatever you give us will be happy. <laughs> but he said, no, you have to decide for your own happiness. You have to tell me what you want. And he devolved the power in 34 years of his reign. We, without our realizing, he had totally devolved the power to the grassroots and uh, made them responsible for their own well-being and happiness. So we, you know, he exactly was working on these four pillars that we say equitable socioeconomic development, environment preservation and conservation, cultural promotion and preservation, and good governance. So these were the four pillars he was working with, and he realized that within these four pillars, these nine domains were so very essential to address the needs of the people. And therefore, uh, without, in fact, without this philosophy was not written down anywhere or anything, and we just continued working until 2000, until 1998 actually, when for the first time Bhutan spoke of GNH in Seoul at the UN regional summit. And then it caught like wildfire around the world and people started to ask us, how do you measure GNH? And when we said, we don't measure it, then they said, well, if you don't measure it, it's not useful. And so UN, UNDP helped us with some funds and we started measuring from 2000 and we continued until 2006. We piloted in 2007 and we found it works beautifully. Then we went to 2008 and uh, we did the first um, official survey but you know 2008 when we surveyed we had 72 indicators and 154 57 variables and that took about six hours to interview so that was not the happiness so we worked hard again for next two years and came down to 33 indicators and uh, about 120 variables uh, which we employ now and it's all digitalized so an interview takes a little more than an hour and uh, we have the results um, uh, of the population. I'm Joel Salatin, known as the Lunatic Farmer, encouraging you to tune in every time you can to the muckraking, compost-loving, cud-chewing, soil-building, water-cleaning vanguard of Urban Hillbilly Radio, greening the apocalypse on Radio 102.7, Free Triple R. And Triple R is where you are. Greening the Apocalypse is the show you are tuned to. And we are very fortunate to be speaking with Dr. Shamdu Chetri. He is the director of the Gross National Happiness Centre in Bhutan. And before we went to that first track, we were discussing uh, how they were able to actually collate and, and survey and work out 
uh, how to define gross national happiness um, and, and get some results. Uh, Dr. Chetri, one of the questions we'd like to put to you is, uh, having gained the results you did with your survey work, now in what ways does the government respond to these results? Have decisions been made differently and does it guide the decision-making of the government in Bhutan? Uh, in fact, um, the government is taking all these results into their hands. For example, uh, in the last survey, as we compared with 2010-2015 survey, indicated that the psychological well-being and uh, community vitality of the people has come down a little bit. So uh, now what the government has decided to do is to have all the nine domains within the next five-year plan that's going to start sometime after mid of 2018. So they would be embedding all this. But I can give you one example. Now, if the survey finds that in a place called A, there are, uh, you know, uh, so many women between the age of 30 and 55 who are not happy, uh, that could be the result. And the reasons for this unhappiness is that they have no time uh, for themselves because they are very busy working at home, cooking, collecting water and, uh, and weaving and all that. And uh, they are not educated. So education, time use, uh, you know, uh, uh, your own leisure time and all that is very, very important for GNH. Although you may ask these women, are you happy? And they, you get a promptly an answer saying, yes, we are happy. But the um, GNH measure does not put them in happiness because it needs to have at least 50% of the conditions of nine domains. So what GNH Commission immediately gets into work is that they bring a plan to that village or that place, and they pipe the water to the village, they bring non-formal education there, and they also try and help them with the improved cooking chula so that women don't have to rush too much, and they try to bring this group of women in equality with similar group of other women in the country. Um, industry would traditionally be supporters of GDP um, since it measures how much they sell. Has there been any resistance from industry within Bhutan about adopting this new measure? Uh, no, not at all, because uh, we are not against uh, any industries or corporations or factories. But what we say is you need to employ sustainable material or energy. If both are there and it brings equity and uh, employment for the people, uh, we just don't block it. We have like 22 indicators that try to test all the factories and industries in the country. Uh, tests, uh, we have already done that. And some of them were emitting uh, quite some carbon, so we ask them to close down or improve that. And, for example, now all factories have gone into run by hydropower plants from our country, electricity, so we don't have any emission to the atmosphere from them. And um, so uh, we are not against GDP. We are only saying that GDP must not happen if it is against ecology and against society. And is there a lot of industry in Bhutan, dirty industries producing a lot of waste at the moment? 
No, we don't have uh, any industry that produces a lot of waste in the country. Uh, uh, most of the factories are settled in the southern part of the belt for transport reasons, and so uh, we ha we don't have actually. It's more to do with uh, steel, with uh, you know, we don't have chemical industries. It's uh, basically rolling plants like uh, uh, cement, and we have. Uh, still, these are few of them. Do you think it would be difficult to apply this index to an economy that was more reliant on burning fossil fuels, for example? It will fail. If we apply this philosophy to any uh, nation or factories or industries that use fossil fuel, that factory is not GNH friendly at all. We <laughs> immediately say no to that. That's really interesting. Um, <laughs> have have um, other countries or other research groups outside of Bhutan picked up the gross domestic happiness methodology and, and applied it elsewhere? Uh, in fact, um, many countries are already undergoing this new concept. Like, for example, two years ago I was speaking to the House of Commons in the British Parliament. Uh, it was like a great honor for me. You know, now uh, UK has started welding, and so mindfulness is now, they're trying uh, to put it in schools, in health systems, and as well as in uh, social justice. Uh, likewise, EU has uh, eight indicators. They call it better life. France has... Uh, similarly with Sarko's emission some six, seven years ago, have also started um, a better life concept. Uh, in the U.S., uh, uh, 20 of the governors, one of them actually from uh, uh, Oregon and his wife, First Lady, they, they were in Bhutan. Uh, we conduct, uh, you know, several courses every year, and they were in one of the courses. When he went back, he invited 20 of his other governors from the states, and they started to discuss what would be the best to go along. They don't call it GNS, they call it GPI, Genuine mm -hmm. Progress Index, and it does exactly the same. If uh, any economy growth is there, they would uh, subtract if it is harmful to the ecology and the, and the uh, society. So often the U.S. economy, if we consider from 1960 until now, we see a decrease in the growth because the growth that is measured by GDP is skyrocketing, but the growth measured by GPI is already showing a negative impact uh, because of the sufferings that it brings to the societies and the, and the nature and the, and the ecology, rather. So there are many countries who have started differently. Uh, Venezuela has started, um, Costa Rica has already started. Um, like, likewise, many countries in the Latin America, they are really undergoing transformation with this philosophy, and they call it with different names. Uh, we don't want it to be called GNH. It doesn't matter what name they give, but the whole idea is we need to calm down. We need to stop using fossil fuel. We need to stop rearing too many animals because they also contribute to the greenhouse gases. And uh, what would be those that we can do without? being very sustainable. When we say sustainable, we also mean that it should be enough for this generation and many, many, many generations uh, to come. We should be uh, enough, you know. If we excavate things today for just us, what are we leaving behind for our generations to come is a big question that we keep on asking ourselves. So, Dr. Shetri, in, in the well, here in Australia, we're often 
and in the US even more so, like happiness is very much at the forefront of cultural expectations. And if we're not experiencing it, there's, you know, we often blame ourselves, which makes it worse. And I, I know you're from a Buddhist country, and I'll probably expose my ignorance here, but um, Buddhism, you're taught to expect suffering as, a, as one of the pillars of life. And I, and I can kind of see how if you approach life from that perspective, if you expect suffering, you know, in a kind of appropriate philosophical way, maybe you're more likely to stumble upon happiness. Whereas this focusing on happiness, and we're told this too, if that's your main aim, often you'll never get there. <laughs> is, do, you, do you see any tension there between um, putting happiness at the forefront of national policy and achieving it? Uh, yes, I, I think it is a very, um, uh, you know, desirable kind of um, uh, progression that one can make, putting happiness in front of any development uh, paradigm. For example, in 2012, uh, UN, because they were so inspired with the concept, 68 countries co-sponsored and there was a resolution taken that all development uh, must have a standalone goal uh, that's happening and well-being. So that was kind of a resolution taken and they were so inspired with the concept that they also declared 20 March as Day of International Happiness. So I think it will work simply because if we take these nine domains into practice, uh, into any, any uh, policy matters of any country, uh, it will work. But here the challenge is that no government will change and try to uh, focus in these areas simply because then you have, the government will have to tell the miners to stop mining. They'll have to tell those fossil fuel, uh, you know, using companies to stop using fossil fuel. And, and most of the governments in the world are run by money from these organizations. So we cannot change the organization, nor can we change the government, uh, nor the government may be willing to put in policy these things like we do in Bhutan. But something that we can always change is from the consumer side, because we often, like what you said, we blame. We are, we are often complaining, competing, and uh, comparing. So three Cs that we are often carried out, uh, uh, with actually brings us all the pain that we suffer from our, uh, from our living and life. But if we change at, uh, you know, begin to ch change the entire concept at the school level, for example, at the schooling, bring a lot of awareness to the youth. I'm sure if we change from the grassroots, from the consumer side, like saying, okay, this cloth is produced by a fossil fuel factory, I'm not going to use. This food is a food that's produced through this mechanism, which is not sus sustainable uh, and not good for the environment and the society, I stop. Now, if the whole uh, community in a place or the country as people stop using these kind of things, then definitely the factories and industries will have to change. And I think it should be a grassroots upwards movement now rather than top-down movement. Indeedy. Hey, uh, thank you so much for your time this evening, Dr. Shetri. We've, um, we feel like we've been pretty informed about uh, Bhutan's uh, GNH model. We hope that uh, our listeners have also taken something away from it. We'll give some details towards the end of the show about your speaking engagements with the School of Life, but uh, we do wish you all the very best and thank you for your time. Thank you so much for inviting me to this evening. Bless.
You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR-FM in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, Katie Dundas. Yes. I thought it would be interesting for us to consider happiness from a cultural context for a little while. Um, I was at some diversity training today, which was extremely eye-opening for mm. me. Um, I think I am. I think I should be a German. It seemed everything that I answered, I was really, really like focused on time and delivery and deadlines. And we, we spoke a lot about our cultural biases and what we expect from the way that we've been brought up on our own cultural beliefs to what is normal and what, for example, happiness means for us. And there's an article in Psychology Today about the culture of happiness and depending on what culture you identify with or what culture you've grown up in, your perception of happiness might be quite different from someone else. So I'll just read a little bit of this article and then maybe we can have a think about it. And also sitting in here, we're all very similar. You know, we're all from a very similar cultural Mm. background. So the way that we think about the apocalypse and the subjects that we talk about and dissect on this show will be framed in a very similar lens. Mm. Um, We're also, uh, I would suggest, all atheists or agnostic. Failed Catholic. Failed failed Catholic, same thing. (laughs) Oh, God, don't call (laughs) it. Just a very, it's, a, it's interesting to think about how other people would perceive. If you come from a collective culture, like an Indian culture, for example, yeah. your perception of family and responsibility and happiness will be very different to my um, Scottish or Anglo-Saxon Northern European culture. Yep. Um, so what then, from psychology today, is happiness to people around the world and how does culture shape our experience of happiness? So to most Americans, happiness is an unalienable human right and is commonly associated with positive experiences as well as personal achievements, so winning a race or getting a great job or something like that. Um, but when asked to describe features of happiness, the Japanese, on the other hand, alluded to social harmony, so more collectivist and the transient nature of happiness, along with its socially disruptive consequences, really very different to the Americans. Um, and there's cross-cultural studies on ideal effect um, have revealed that while Americans associate happiness with high arousal positive states such as elation, enthusiasm and excitement, Hong Kong Chinese define happiness through more low arousal positive states, so being calm and relaxed. And there's also um, differences when you think about ancient Greece and China, happiness was considered a fatalistic concept so a design gift that had much more to do with luck and fortune as opposed to having something positive happen to you or achieving something Mm. so it's just, it's interesting to think that we're able to think about what um, Dr uh, Samdu was talking about about being able to quantify and qualify this notion of happiness based on a set of physical and policy parameters Mm. where the Bhutan culture of happiness interpreted their way would be very different potentially to the way Australians would. Yes, yes Um, and if you maybe even despite our four similarity, five similarities in the room um, uh, Jed for example, you go cycling pretty much every weekend given an opportunity, other people in Australian culture find that absurd I get a massive thrill myself out of turning compost in, in the backyard watching my chickens other people would see that as the most arduous and cumbersome chore. But the reaction that you're having to both of those tasks or hobbies Mm. is one of achievement. So you're achieving turning your compost. You're achieving doing something physical. Are we achieving? Are we, Jed? 
Well, I, you wouldn't call what I do on a bike achieving much, but um, I, I saw a post oh, getting, on... Getting those shoes is an achievement. <laughs> getting the lycra on. <laughs> I saw a post on LinkedIn today where a lady was saying she'd reached an age where she realised that she didn't have to compete anymore yep. and she should be happy in herself and she was very happy to be able to let her belt out a notch and enjoy life. So I thought, Beautiful. And yet that, that sense of happiness of being able to undo the belt and let it all out for huge swathes of the population causes complete misery, anxiety, tension, the whole And actually the pursuit of happiness mm. has been found to cause some people misery and anxiety mm. as well. Adam, you touched on that with, um, with the doctor earlier. Are you currently in a pursuit of happiness? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think I put it at the forefront of what I helped to go to, uh, you know, try and achieve... I've looked into the kind of things that sometimes they say do. I don't know, it's been a while, but, you know, those books like The Happiness Hypothesis or Stumbling Upon Happiness by Daniel Gilbert. And a lot of the things that, that are correlated with happiness include things like working, trying to help others indirectly ends up helping yourself. Now you've got a mental um, problem because now I've told you that, you can't do it in good faith. You go, you'll help somebody across the road and you'll be going, yes, this is going to be great for me. Um, <laughs> but, but it doesn't work if you do that, presumably. You have to be doing it in a selfless manner. Oh, Jesus. Well, when you Ruined it for everyone. When you wrote your book, though, your mm. frugal book, mm. did you consider happiness much when you were... Well, we've, or the pursuit of happiness. We did use hedonism in uh, in a loose way and a, a fairly inclusive way that goes beyond the rather negative taint that the word has, and just thought about pleasure in deeper forms. So maybe we used it interchangeably, almost with happiness. Mm. Yeah. What about the, the contrast? So, I, if you've just tuned in, I listen to a lot of metal and hard, heavy stoner rock and all sorts of stuff like that. And uh, there's probably no shortage of really dark and angry lyrics and things like that. But if you you read enough interviews with some of the vocalists and lyricists and stuff from some of these bands that I, that I, that I like, and even the same with music like the blues and country music, there's some harrowing, heart-wrenching, gut-aching stories of, you know, you've lost your dog, your, the dog died, <laughs> you know, you caught your neighbour in bed with your dog, all sorts of... Like, <laughs> Is that what metal's all about? No, I'm talking Dogs. about country music now. No, no metal's <laughs> more about, uh, like, there's lots of, yeah. But you, the, the things that inspire That's more about and music, dog. you know. Satanist uh, yeah, well, dogs. Putting a guitar in a dog or something, like, I don't know. Yeah. But um, without without that sort of sense of angst and anguish and rage and sadness and, and those sorts of things, there, there doesn't seem to be... Like, happiness is almost irrelevant if you're not able to hold it up side by side mm. with those other feelings. You need to contrast it against something. Yes. Yeah. Also, yeah. this this article talks about... There's a psychologist, I'm going to say his name, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. I can do this. Csikszentmihalyi. Oh, wow. <laughs> Amazing. I just felt happy here. <laughs> he talks I've about... I've watched YouTubes about how to do that. Oh, happy. <laughs> Check Menchie, Holly. Is this going to be another Gate Knows No Philosophers show? Oh, God. Um, the joy we get, he says... Um, is it he, is it, Adam? Yeah. 
<laughs> the joy we get from living ultimately depends directly on how the mind filters and interprets everyday experiences. Mm. So if we're able to find joy in the small things, which is a little bit about what your book talks about as well, mm. just finding washing the dishes a pleasurable experience rather than something you're trying to get over and done with as quickly as you possibly yeah. can so you can go and watch the telly. It's all about attitude. Mm. It is about attitude. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, I maintain that, you know, you probably need to feel a little bit rock bottom in order to feel sky high. Uh, Green in the Apocalypse is the show you've been on since seven this morning. We are commencing the wrap-up. Jed, you, thank you very much for panelling this evening. Always an amazing job. My pleasure. You are the reason that we are not just uh, four people in a room speaking into a sock. Katie... <laughs> We're going to catch you in a couple of weeks' time. Yes, you are. Awesome. Adam, uh, we'll have to fine-tune next week's schedule. Uh, it's seat-of-the-pants stuff here at GTA. We will see you next Tuesday, and until then, have all the fun. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.